If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travlini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. What's up, everybody? It's MJ. Welcome to season four of the Black Wine Guy Experience. My team and I are excited to continue to bring you the enlightening conversations and brilliant wine suggestions you've come to know and love. And trust me, this season's guest list is epic. And for the first time on the show, I've partnered with some incredible winemakers to bring you, my listeners, a unique opportunity to purchase some bottles that you may not have been aware of or couldn't find, but you will be able to get them soon. All right, everybody, in the words of the BC Boys, kick it! Hey, I'm MJ Taylor, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is the owner of 56 Degree Wine, former sales consultant and wholesaler, wine blogger, and a burgundy enthusiast, Joe Bimbry. Uh, Joe is the former owner of a surf shop on the Jersey Shore before deciding to pursue an education in wine full time. In 2003, he graduated from the WSET with an advanced certificate with distinction. And in 2004, he began his wine career as the opening wine director of 56 Degree Wine. That's in Bernardsville, right? Correct. Okay. In 2012, he briefly left 56 Degree Wine to work on the wholesale side of the business and began representing the great portfolios of Juan Prieto Wines, BNP, and Grand Cru Selections. He returned to 56 Degree Wine in 2014 as president and general manager, and Joe has now become the outright owner of the store as of January 2021. He's also an avid golfer and 30-plus-year professional musician, a father of two, and husband to Karen Othbembry of La Luz Selections. Welcome, Big Joe. Thank you, MJ. Anything else you'd like to add, my man? Uh, No, no. I think you said it all. You said it all. All right. All right. Tell us about the wine we'll be drinking tonight. Okay. So um, this is a wine that's special to me. I've uh, traveled to Burgundy many, many times, and as a matter of fact, Saturday night, I'm flying to France and going to Burgundy. It'll be my first trip since COVID started. Um, But I've forged out these great relationships with all these producers there. One of the ones that I've been to probably 15 to 20 times is uh, Domaine Zicot, Sylvain Zicot. So I thought it'd be interesting because I found a case of this in our basement. We just recently moved our location, the Mm -hmm. store location. 
And uh, I found a case of this in the basement, and I'm thinking 2012 Bourgogne Blanc might not be so hot. Um, but the wine's superb, as you can see. The color's great. Um, I didn't. Even, I didn't even look at. I'm like, I didn't even look at it. I just saw you know Zacat because I love Zacat, but I didn't even look at the vintage. Shit, this is a ten year old Bourgogne. Yes, sir. Damn. Uh, 10 years on it. So um, I thought that'd be interesting as something to try. Hell yeah. From a producer who, you know, not many people know, but one uh, we've been working with really, really closely for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I just think he just, just nails it. Um, people in France, in, in Burgundy, everybody knows Sylvan. Right. But um, here, not so much. Well, you know, we like... We like our PYCMs. We like, you know, we like names. Yeah, we, listen, like, we like blingy bling. I I'm sure we're going to get into that. I love the ball too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, you need a Tuesday nighter. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, very cool. Very cool. So let's um, start at the top. Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born a young black child. We don't have born Orange, New Jersey. <laughs> I was born the son of a sharecropper. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I, no. My father and mother, um, uh, my father's from New York. My mother is from D.C. area. Okay. And I, I was born in Orange. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in Lawrenceville, which is much different. Much <laughs> <laughs> Great suburb. Actually, it was a great place to grow up because it's like, you know, very diverse. There's yeah. a, there's a, there's a, a, a big, a, a sizable, I should say, African-American population there. Um Lots of white kids, Jewish kids, Italian kids. It was like a the proverbial melting pot. So for me, it, it gave me the opportunity that along with my hue to kind of move in different circles and different avenues. And, you know, I was friends with everybody. I was an athlete. I was a musician. Mm -hmm. I was just starting to, to sing a little bit. Um, and uh, I, I just seemed to get along with a lot of different types of people and, and tried to maintain that through um, – throughout the years, even after I got out of school, out of that town. Yeah. So. No, I mean, Lawrenceville, that's uh, that's like near Princeton and Trenton. It, Correct. Yeah. It's it's the suburb right between Princeton and Tre Trenton. Yeah. Um, heaven and hell. Yeah. You pick which one's which. Shit and sugar. You know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was it was a great place to be. Not too far from New York, not too far from mm -hmm. Philly. You know, so we got a little culture mixed in. That's the Yankee hat. That's how, you know, I became a Yankee fan. Joe B is in his signature Yankee hat. <laughs> you will find him in his shop with the Yankee hat on. It's a lot. And, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so you said you, you were an athlete um, and when you were growing up, um, soccer, right? Yeah, I was a big soccer player. Um, uh, I actually uh, at one point was thinking that I was going to continue on playing in college. And I got recruited by a bunch of, of schools but none of them were the places I wanted to go. And I'm pretty sure my dad wanted to kick me in the balls when I told him that <laughs> Carnegie Mellon wants you to play, but you don't want to go there. Oh, how my life would have been different if I went to Carnegie Mellon, MJ. Uh, bro, <laughs> I, I, listen, <laughs> you, know? I, 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 you know, I used to work with kids, uh, high school kids, and get them to college. I'm like, and everybody wants to go. And I, this was in Connecticut. Everybody wants to go to UConn and play basketball, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, you need to go to Wesleyan uh, for free, yeah, and play D three soccer, yeah, okay, or play D three basketball, and then when you get out, you'll have a job because you you you'll meet someone whose father owns their own firm or something. You know, you you'll be good to go. Exactly. Um, you know. So I uh, listen. Listen, I'm glad you didn't go to Carnegie Mellon because we probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> no, we wouldn't be here. But I know what you talk about. Like when when you have these opportunities and like you you were like. 
I'm, I'm going to Rutgers, UCLA. You want to go? <laughs> no, you, you know what? It was really weird. I had this weird thing because I don't like cold weather. So I had this thing. It had to be south of where we live. Gotcha. So I went down to like um, Old Dominion and mm-hmm. visited there. I went down to uh, UNC Greensboro, visited there, um, visited Delaware. And then I drove onto the campus with my dad at the University of Maryland. Pulled into the to the campus. I saw the big kind of circle of flowers all around. And, and I just turned to my dad. I go, this is where I'm going. And he's like, oh, yeah? I said, yeah. I don't even need to talk to anybody. This is the place. It was just far enough away from home that mm-hmm. I felt comfortable that, like I was on my own. Mm-hmm. But if I needed to get back, I could just come back. You know, it, it was a quick train ride, which as I turned into more of a musician, uh, which kind of transitioned me through my college years. It became really important because I was traveling back and forth to play gigs. So what did you study at um, U of M? <laughs> well, that's a long story, too. I... <laughs> we got time. Okay. I, um, I started out as an accounting major. Uh, I was fairly good at math. At least I thought I was. Um, and then quickly realized that calculus and I don't get along. It was the only class I ever took where I got like a C minus. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I didn't fail. Like, I, oh, thank goodness. So um, uh, I, I quickly got out of that. I took a marine biology class that I thought was interesting. So I said, oh, let me try this marine biology thing. Me as a scientist? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I'm like the most imprecise fucking person in the world. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I, I'm there, keep going through classes. And then, then I changed my major to criminal justice and I'm like, what am I going to be, an FBI agent? Like, I'm down in Maryland, no yeah. way, you know? I'm like, what am I going to do, you know? So I, I ended up going political science. At the time, it was called government politics was the major. And, you know, I just, I do like politics, and I, and I like to, uh, to, to listen to it and talk mm-hmm. about it. But at the time, I, I wasn't overtly political anyway. But the biggest thing about that time in my life and the thing that galvanized the most was learning the ability to write. Mm. that is the thing I took away from my college years that has extended up into my career. It was literally the only thing because I was down at the University of Maryland kind of going to school just because it was expected Mm -hmm. of me, Mm -hmm. but not fully buying into it, meaning my grades were okay. I wasn't super focused. I was more focused on my music career, Mm -hmm. what I thought was a career in music. Um, And um, I, I just did not like really put in the the grind kind of work that it takes to be successful at college. So I got through, I graduated. Um, but you know, I was no A student. Yeah. I mean, does anybody put in that kind of effort in college though? There are a lot of dudes who do. A lot of a lot of people put in massive amounts of effort and and do very well and go on to other kind of greater things, but that wasn't my lot, bro. <laughs> no, I hear you, because I wasn't the best student for for most of my college career. I buckled down for two years, but like having worked with colleges, I'm like, does anybody cause then like, you know, then you go like you hang out at Ivy League schools and People, a lot of people aren't working hard there. They just, they just got it, and they know they're going to get a job. Yeah, but then there are people who are working hard. So, like you said, it's, uh, it's probably fifty-fifty. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you do get out of it what you put into it. Right. You know, I, I do believe that, and I put some into it. And I was a smart guy. I was a smart kid. You know, so I, I, I got through on just being smart. Yeah, and and by moving myself over to government politics major, it was more about creativity, mm-hmm. which is. Way more my speed, mm-hmm. way more my style. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so to me, that was the thing that really, really um, stayed with me and turns out to, to be probably one of the most important or galvanizing parts of my career. Um, were you considering law school at any time or... No, it, like I said, I wasn't focused enough to, okay. to think that that would be an option for me. Um, like, uh, I mean, listen, I, I, I had three other guys from high school that mm -hmm. we had this band and we started getting a little, um, little bit of stuff going on. We played down at the beach, some of the Jersey Shore clubs in the summer and we, we got like a, a following and then we wrote our own music and, and um, that, that started to catch on and we did a record release party at the Stone Pony. It was one of the greatest nights of my life. I still remember it like it was you yesterday. You played the Stone Pony? Yeah, man. Wow. <laughs> Not only did we play, we headlined. We had um, wrote and written um, an album, recorded it, and did our record release party at the Stone Pony. So it was the first time all these people who come to see us play covers were listening to our original thoughts and ideas. So um, we, we had our CDs printed. We got T-shirts printed up. Um, I'm in the back of the Stone Pony after sound check in the dressing room for a couple hours. There's a couple bands coming before us. And then all of a sudden, some guy goes, okay, you guys are up. And so we, the doors open. The guy puts the flashlight. And I hear people go, ah. <laughs> and I'm just like, holy shit, it's like, it's like a prince or something. Like, and like, I walk on stage, everybody's all fired up, and I'm like, ah! And, and you know, we got out there and played terribly, but you know, if we, we, you know, but it was the vibe, it was the feeling, and, and it just gave us so much confidence to keep going on. So, um, you know, I, 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 I loved that point in my life, that time, but getting back to college, mm -hmm. that's what my focus was more on. Mm -hmm. It was more on music and doing that in a real way than it was on, I was going to school and getting good enough grades to keep, continue, but I really wanted to be a musician. Yeah. That, was, that was my thing. So for those of y'all who don't know, and you can Google it, the Stone Pony is a famous club at the Jersey Shore in Asbury Park, <laughs> yes, New is. Jersey, um, and, and, and uh, notoriously famous as uh, uh, like the, the um, like Bruce Springsteen and East Street Brand was like the house band there for like when they were coming up in the seventies. Um, bon Jovi, Bon Jovi as well, um, and it's 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 a, it's one of those. It's like the Whiskey a Go Go in L.A. It's a legendary rock club. It's Absolutely. like CBGBs would have been in New York City, and um, damn, you played there. So yeah, let's talk about the band a little. Bit. I mean, you, that was great. So you said when did you guys start? You started in high school, or yeah. So these are um, friends of mine from high school, <clears throat> um, Justin Norman. And Mark, um, and uh, we, we we just started a band and, and ended up playing a uh, a frat party at, at Rutgers. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at, at, you know, we were like eighteen, nineteen years old. Okay, and uh, it, it went well enough that they they wanted us to come back, and so um, we started playing a couple of gigs like that. Then we started getting some gigs locally. Um, it was everything to me, the ability to get on stage and sing, and um, sort of perfect or I never really got to perfect it, but like to, to in, increase my You're working on your craft, my quality mm -hmm. of my craft mm -hmm. and, and to, to, to learn how to be a performer mm -hmm. um, was, was all I was really interested in at the time. Um, and we lived at the beach. We were lifeguards in the summertime. Okay. And the musicians the rest of the year, we even stayed in a, a house, um, on Long Beach Island in the winters, and that's when we would write and record. And you know, we lived together. We were we were 
all in for a number of years. This was after you graduated from college, you guys? Are... Yeah, I mean, it continued. It's, it started when I was in school, right. and then, you know, uh, well, it continued on. We'll, we'll get to that later, but it continued on for 30-plus years. Damn. Um, so, again, so uh, Long Beach Island, that's like, that's classic Jersey Shore for you Jersey Shore fans yep. who watch those idiots on TV. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, LBI is a little more highfalutin, though. Yeah, it is. Um, a touch more. What's the... what? But even inside of there's it's the sections too. There's the sections that are more yeah, like, like Beach Haven's. A little, yeah, right. You know, that's where all the the action is. Right. You know. Right. Um, so you're you're in the band. You guys are living together. You're living down to Jersey Shore. You're booking good gigs. Um, at one point, you owned a surf shop. Yeah. Yeah. So How did that? Come to I was pass. I was previously married, um, and uh, my wife at the time and I um, decided to open a. It was more a skate shop, okay. but it was also a clothing store. She was very much into fashion, so we would. It was the weirdest store because we were selling like DC shoes, and 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 Vans, but also like Diesel jeans and like Frankie B's and stuff stuff that was like kind of like pricey and like oh, couturish, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. at the time. And um, so it was the like the weirdest stores, but it was awesome because the kids would come in and they'd be like, I need a new think deck and some bearings. And their mom would be like, I'm going to go try some jeans on. It was like, it was crazy. So um, it did okay for a while. Um, but uh, when 9-11 hit, that following summer was a little bit rough on LBI. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was just everything kind of contracted, you know, business-wise in terms of rentals and everything. So the the, the business took a big hit after that. Um, and and at the time we had owned, um, lucky enough to, to meet a guy who um, helped us out and helped us buy the building that we were, okay. um, that we were in. And so we decided to sell it. We moved back to uh, the Trenton area to be uh, closer to uh, my family and my ex-wife's family because we had a, a small son at the time. And, um, we needed all the help we could get. And so uh, we sold it. We sold it and, and moved on. And I, I was kind of like struggling. I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like my mother worked at a high school and I was like substitute teaching there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was still doing the band and it was making some money, but, you know, not like crazy. Um, and so I, I, I was substitute teaching and I, I thought for a moment I was going to actually be a teacher. Um one of the teachers at, at the high school I was at left for uh, a leave of absence and decided uh, – was going to adopt a, a kid from Russia. So he needed four months off to acclimate that kid to the U.S. and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So I go, do you want to take over the social studies class? I go, yeah, I was government politics major. Sure, why not? So I, I, I get in there and it was like block scheduling. So it was just three periods a day. Mm-hmm. Okay, It was a morning one and then lunch and then two ones in the afternoon. And I had my seniors in the morning. They were so fucking chill. They would just come in and be like, hey, Mr. Bembry, what's up? What are we doing? Okay, cool. They do their thing. There's only like 12 of them in the class. Right. Then we'd have lunch. And then I had my ninth graders and I wanted to fucking strangle them. I couldn't, I couldn't deal. I mean, like it, like every day I was like, oh, okay, they're coming in just to, and I, <laughs> I'd be like, shut up, sit down, shut up, sit down, shut up, sit down. <laughs> like every, like the first 10 minutes was just like, you out. Like, you know, it was just like yeah. so hyped. I couldn't take it. So, you know, I, I thought I was going to do that. And then I said, you know, I can't be a teacher. It's, it's just like, and it was actually one of, a friend of my ex-wife's was like, well, you're always into wine. You're talking about wine. You're just like, wine this, wine that. Why don't you get into wine? And I was like, I never thought of that. Maybe, yeah, maybe that is my lot in life. So I 
I went to the WSET. I took that class. Um, I had some really great instructors there, and I, I, I learned a lot. I filled in a lot of the gaps in my knowledge um, from that place. And then not there long after, I met um, the gentleman who um, hired me to open up 56 Degree Wine. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite, a, quite a time. Yeah, we got to let's back up to you were into wine. When did the wine actually come in the picture just even um casually or Well, MJ, I like to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it 100. I, <laughs> I'm not going to fucking sugarcoat no, it. I know. No, so like like um, you know, in in high school, uh, you know, I would enjoy some beverages here and there but it was lots of like light beer and stuff and i remember going to see the beastie boys in new york city with a bottle of canai wine on the street rosé you know popping it open and drinking it and smooth man yeah you know smooth, <laughs> mad brother. dog 2020 yeah. all, all the all the bangers cisco <laughs> yeah. all the greatest hits so it was it was not too long after that that my um ex-wife introduced me to this gentleman who actually is the one who's the most responsible person for me being in the wine business okay his name was Ruben Morancy. Okay. He uh, he was a sommelier at a restaurant in Philadelphia that they both worked at together. <clears throat> and for whatever reason, he saw that I liked wine, mm -hmm. and he would always bring me like when I'd stop by the restaurant, he'd bring me, oh, you should taste this. I taste it. Like, Ooh, this is good, you know. But I at the time only drank white wine, never drank any red. So there was one time when I, I went to visit Ruben, and he was like, okay, you're gonna. You know, you're going to have this dish and you're going to have the duck and I'm going to give you a peanut noir. I'm like, ah, whoa, 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 back it up. I, I don't really drink red wine. He goes, shut up, sit down. You're going to try this because it goes with this dish. Right. And so <clears throat> me as a person who only drank white wine, and when I say only drank white wine, I'm talking about Sebastiani, like really oaky, yeah. like intense, you know, mm. The, the Coca-Cola of Chardonnay, you know, like it was just like very sweet. It's like you know? butter, baby. Yeah, exactly. And so he put this Pinot Noir and it wasn't even expensive, but it was an Oregon Pinot Noir in the glass. And I took a bite of the duck and I put the Pinot Noir in my glass. I was like, oh my God, that's it. That is it. That is everything right there. And then subsequently he would like give me bottles of wine. I, you and I had spoken previously about Kalen Cellars. Yeah. That was also another winery that kind of like light bulbed me. Like I was like, all oh, these older Semillons. Although that, that, that last one, they, the forgot, last one. <laughs> they kept the wine for 20 fucking years. That sometimes, shit was a miss. <laughs> sometimes they get long in the tooth, man. Yeah, but, just, but you know. oh my God, people named Kalen is just, just, it's just like, it's like, and if you know, you know. When you get one that's right, it's- Oh my God, it's so good. It'll it's blow like, you away. Blow, blow your mind. And you know, but anyway. Blow you away. So he would give me bottles of things like that. One day he handed me a bottle of 1992 Dominus. He goes, I want you to hold on to this for a while. This is a, a really special bottle of wine. He gave you a bottle of 92 Dominus? Gave me a bottle of 92 Dominus, right? I popped that shit open in a month. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I got to find out what the fuck's going on with this. So I, I was like, oh my God. Yes. Yes. I can't believe it. So, um, yeah, it was amazing. You got you know, Mardo's room? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cuz, they're all gone. Um, but, yeah, he was just absolutely pivotal. And, um, unfortunately, he passed away this last year. Um, he was living out in California. And uh, I was actually in September 
out in California for my brother's like a kind of a birthday party birthday weekend guys weekend playing uh, Monterey Peninsula right. and I was hoping to meet up with Ruben while I was out there and of course shortly thereafter he passed away and I'm just like wow I missed my opportunity so it was one of my deep deep regrets that I didn't get that I didn't get a chance to tell him exactly how important a figure he was in my world one really cool thing though getting back to all the way back to finding things in the cellar like this mm -hmm, z coat mm -hmm. <clears throat> ruben at one point helped me make a wine for 56 degree wine a private label wine mm. he helped me um make a chardonnay and a pinot noir and i found a case of the pinot noir oh shit it's a 2010 santa rita hills pinot it's mm, delicious. I should have sure brought, brought one tonight. Next uh, time we get together, I'll, yeah, I'll bring one. Uh, we'll come it's, to the house, yeah. It's just drop in the pocket. It's probably, it's, it's, it's probably in this pocket right now. And, you know, it's it's not – even when it came out, um, it was very good. I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was as good as it actually turned out. And subsequently, I gave bottles to my staff, and I was mm. like, take this home. Tell me what you think. They were like, oh, how good is this wine from Santa Rita Hills? 2010. Yeah. From like literally, we went to like a garage somewhere, and the guy's like, "He's got a tank with some juice in it." And I've tasted. It. I'm like, this "Shit's good, <laughs> right?" People don't. That's. I mean, people don't get like so how many people like that's people. There's people who just sell off wine. Like, there's a whole negotiation thing in California. You know, absolutely. Um, uh, Ruben, he was African American, right? Ruben was from Haiti. Haiti. Yeah. Ruben yep. was a unbelievable individual. He was very very smart. Um, he spoke five languages fluently, fluently. Um, he was just, um, a bon vivant in every sense of the word. Um, you know, he had his struggles like everybody does in life, mm -hmm. but, um, Ruben was salt of the earth. He always in one of my other great regrets is like Ruben was one of those people who always had these like kind of crazy schemes and he'd be like, <laughs> Joe, he was like, he like, I'm flying out to the East coast. He's like, let's get together. I'm like, okay, cool. He comes with a few bottles of wine. And he's like, so I'm going to um, – I want to market this wine and this and we got to do this and this and this. And I'm just like, Ruben, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Like, like what, what? I, I work at a wine store. At the time, I didn't own it. <laughs> yeah. I, I work at a wine store. Yeah. So like, I mean, you want me to buy some or do you, how does this work? And we could never like get it together. Aside from the wine we made, mm -hmm. the Chard and Pinot, we never got it together. Um, and he, he – I felt like I should have given more oxygen to his ideas. Mm -hmm. That's okay. one of the things that I regret. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should see this through a little bit further. You know, not not just kind of like shut it shut it down so quick. So I definitely regret that. It's also one of the things my wife tells me to do. Your first reaction is like, uh, -uh you can't do that. I'm like, no. I got to keep my mind open to the possibilities. That's how you get. Your, your homework ideas. is to go watch Yes Man with Jim Carrey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you ever seen it? No. Oh my God. It's one of my stupid funny movies <laughs> have you seen it it's, it's, yeah you gotta see it it'll crack you up because <laughs> he, he, he yeah he said yes to everything <laughs> oh my well, God. that's not me but <laughs> um so you know ruben was obviously a major force in life and and so you go you graduate from um wsct you met the owner of uh, the the owner of Fifty Six Degree thereafter. Um, had you ever worked? Was that like your first job in wine? That was my first job in wine. I actually, um, before I got in the wine business, I had met um, Gary V of all people, and um, 
at the time, Garrett was just a young kid, you know, running his dad's store, really fast talker. You know, he wasn't even doing like some of the crazy wine library TV videos or anything yet, but he was just somebody who I'd met. I actually had gone there and bought wine myself with my own money. Mm-hmm. I'm out to dinner with Gary and this other guy, and he's just like, I guess impressed enough-ish with me to to offer me a job. <clears throat> and I was, I don't know why, but in the back of my head, I go, I don't think this is the right fit. There's nothing wrong with Gary. He's right. Right. Actually, a great guy, and right. I'm so impressed with everything that he's become. Yeah, um, like blown away. But I am the kind of person who wants to champion the little guy, you know. And I, 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 I don't. I think walking into a situation like that, where I was working with a big store that was just like massive, hulking, you know, behemoth of retail in New Jersey, I, I think I would have been more like little fish, big pond. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think it would have resonated with me. But when I, I got to 56 Degree Wine and I just walked in and I, I, I became the wine director, I remember <clears throat> distinctly after, um, I always tried to keep the worlds of music and wine separate. That's impossible. I, well, it's impossible from a, from a personal standpoint. Right. But when I'm walking into a new profession, new job, the last thing I wanted somebody to do was like, Google Joe Bembry hyperactive and watch me stage dive, you know, like, like I'm trying to be buttoned up. I'm trying to be, you know, this is my, this is my career now, you know, it's for real. And so if I'm a being potent, (laughs) exactly. I mean, MJ, I wore a collared shirt for you today. I'm, and I, and I wore a t-shirt because I thought y'all was like, I I thought it was gonna be a t-shirt competition. This is my wife's fault. So (laughs) she's like, are you going to look, are you going to look, Hot today? That's what she said to me. You gonna look hot today? And I'm like, what should I wear? Because she knows me. I just wear t-shirts and hoodies. Like that's I know. Even in the store. When I got in the wine business, I'm like, I don't ever want a job where I got to wear a suit. I wear suits to weddings and funerals, and that's it. Like nothing else. So she said, you're gonna look good today. I said, well, you know. She's like, how about this shirt? I said, okay. Put it on. But you know, I would have just—I would have rolled one of it's Andre fine. Max. Like it's all good. It's—I mean, I pop champagne. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I wore a collared shirt yesterday, um, and not, you know, my producer's like, "Oh, you know, this guest is coming. In. You, you can't wear a t-shirt." <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, "I was like, let me get back to MJ today." You know what I mean? oh, well, this is still me. No, it's still you. No, it's, it's, yeah, it looks great, man. Thank um, you. Pinstripes. He's got his Yankee hat on and a pinstripe shirt. He's Yankee for life. You know it. Um, that's so funny. <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about. A <laughs> we were talking about. Do you guys um, edit this shit or what? No, man. <laughs> no, oh, no. Man. We were talking about um, <clears throat> how you. Uh, it was more your vibe to do fish. Yes, like, yes. Like, like you're not like you like to champion the underdog. Yeah, yeah, I do like to champion the underdog. Oh, I, I was. It was music. I was starting. To yeah. Talk so about. yeah, because so it cause, was. It, it was right after my final interview, and a gentleman said, "Oh, you're hired." I said, oh, great. He goes, you know what? There's a sales rep coming in in a few minutes. Why don't you taste with me? I'm like, oh, I'm on. This is like my test, right? (laughs) So I get in there and I'm just like, I smell hints of citrus. You know, I'm just fucking coming up with whatever I could come with to to make it sound important, but that I knew what I'm talking about. And, you know, I'm asking all the right questions and um, taking this very seriously. And my my boss is looking there. He's like, "Mm, okay, this guy's guy's nose. He knows what's up. And then all of a sudden, the sales rep goes, do you play in a band hyperactive? <laughs> I'm like, damn. I haven't even got the 
job yet and I'm getting blown up. And I mean, okay, I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, I got recognized in a way because like, yeah. it means I was like, doing something right. Like, but at the same time, I'm a rock like, star. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, I really want to, you know, I want to carve my way in this wine business and do it in a serious way. So, you know, I didn't want anything that I thought might, and of course it didn't. Right. I thought might slow that down or make people not take me seriously or take my opinion seriously. So, yeah, we got through that that day. It was fun. <laughs> I got to say, this wine is showing incredibly well. It's smoking. So, so Sylvan um, is uh, located in Poulini Morache. Okay. And um, he's got vines, uh, uh, various premier crew. He doesn't make any Grand Cru. But he has various premier crew of Folletier and uh, Perrier, two great sites within the, uh, mm -hmm. the village of Pouligny. This comes from his um, vines that are along the, the flat part of the uh, the, the vineyards. Um, and in particular, there's one section called Oulier that um, makes a really, really beautiful, beautiful Chardonnay. Um, Domaine Lefleve farms some spots there. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just, I think his... His Bourgogne Blanc is probably the one wine we've sold the most in the last 15 years out of anything. I mean, we go through a lot of it, every vintage, because it's always great. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I, I was not really shocked at how good this wine was when I found that case. Right. Um, because I've been to Sylvan's cellar and he's pulled out bottles. You know, he's always playing guessing games. So he, we go there and he'll just pour – you know, oh, what do you think this is? Oh, what do you think this is? And, you know, I'll be like, oh, this must be like, you know, Pouligny Folletier Premier Crew from a great vintage. And he's like, Bourgogne Blanc 2009. <laughs> <Bam>! <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, I'm not a big um, blind taster. Like, I, I, I find it sometimes it's like a parlor trick, you know, but... When you do put the blinders on, it does make you focus on what is actually there. And sometimes when you don't know what the actual wine is, that allows you to open up your mind to the possibilities, the entire range of what it could be. Not just be like, you know, oh, well, this is 2010 Volnay. It's supposed to be this, 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 and this. Right. Um, no, just try this wine and tell me what you think it actually yeah. feels like to you. Yeah, I mean – I said this yesterday, like people, first of all, people think blind tasting is this new thing because it was in the Saw movies. Yeah. Um, Judgment of Paris, motherfuckers. <laughs> They've been doing it and they were doing it before then, but like literally like this is not, you know, it, it's not a new thing. I, 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 I hear you. It's, it's, if I think if someone just says, what do you think of this wine? That's one thing. But then like, there's this thing now where people are trying to trump each other and it's, becoming, oh, yeah. you know, like, so that's the parlor trick side of it. Like it's not educational as much as like, oh no. Yeah. It, it, it's Massachusetts cranberries, not New Jersey cranberry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was actually thinking about bringing a, a, a younger vintage of this too, so we could side by side them. Yeah. But I just thought this red would be a little more interesting. Yeah. No, it's so, totally cool. And, and, 56 uh, sponsored a few episodes and we specifically mentioned this wine. I love I love this wine, this Borgogna. Yeah, I drink Zico, it young. It's I love it. Sylvan is is a incredible a boss. Incredible expression of Chardonnay. Um it, it's like when you like when you have a wine like this you're like fuck. 
why is white burgundy so different from most California Chardonnay? Right. You know? Um, it's terroir. Yeah. I mean, but we had we had that that Ceratos. There's people who make there's people. I mean, there are people who are making some great California Chardonnay yeah. now. And you know what? It's it's. But this, but like when, the, on release, like even like the Burgundian now is like twenty five a bottle on release. Like you, can't yeah. Beat I looked this. it up when when we first got this vintage of this wine yeah. in. It was like twenty two bucks. Yeah. Now they're like twenty nine. Yeah. Whatever. But like, by the case under twenty dollars, you could have sellered this. Right. And and, boom. Right. You like. Pull it out next to somebody else's Puli Marche. Uh-huh. Go ahead, do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now that'd be a good one. Like you blind the Puli versus that, right? That to be because because that's where it comes up. Like you said, because people will be like, oh, the Puli Marche. Well, yes and no. I mean, listen, I, I'll be the first to admit, like a good reputable producer or even Sylvan's wine, yeah. his Puli Marche is more layered. It's more textured. It's more complex. There's there's a reason why that wine costs more money and why. It's more sought after. But I mean, you know, it's hard to argue with how delicious this wine is I with really, yeah, a decade yeah. of bottle age on it. Perfect color. It's, I, as soon as I poured it, I was like, we're good. The other thing is yeah. it was, a, it was it's a fake cork. It's not a – it wasn't oh, it was, a okay. – um, It was I, synthetic because I was wondering. Yeah, synthetic because, cork. Because which, a lot of the burgundies from this time period had a lot of pre-mock stuff. Right. On. Yeah. Like the, the corks were shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd pull a wine like this, and it'd be like look like fifty year old sauternes and shit. Exactly. Um. <laughs> we don't want that. No, no, bueno. <laughs> so I don't think I ever asked you uh, what type of music did Hyperactive play. It was the same. It sounds like Scott punkish. Yeah. So I, I was. I didn't even ask you that. I was obsessed. I mean, freaking obsessed with Fishbone. So I I, I modeled. Everything that Angelo. I did over on Angelo Moore. Yeah. I mean, Angelo Moore to me was like everything in terms of a front man. I mean, he could sing. He danced. He was funky. He was hardcore. He would throw himself off the second story of a, a, a club, you know, and into the crowd. Like, he was excitement. I mean, it was just impossible to not watch him. And to hear him sing and perform and play saxophone beautifully, I mean, I didn't do that. But like... You know, he he was just the front man of front men to me, and so and he was black. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I sadly at one point I've been bald since I'm 25, <laughs> but sadly oh. at one point MJ I had like three little you break little, like yours, yeah, you little, three yeah. three every, shaved around shaved here, shaved around here, but and yeah, three little sadly. pathetic fucking French fries sticking down. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I painted him green. I, I, I like, I dyed him green, and I was just like, I'm gonna be like Angelo, you know? I was just like, fuck it, stop it! You look ridiculous. I had to shave it off. I was, they, well, they were like hanging on literally by like two hairs. <laughs> like fucking antenna, like yeah. these little bugs. It was like, yeah. <laughs> I was picking up radio signals on that shit. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it, like I, I just, I thought Fishbone was. The greatest thing in the world, and I highly recommend actually seeing their um, their movie. There's a documentary yeah. about Fishbone. It's called Everyday Sunshine. If you ever saw Fishbone, or even if you'd never even heard of the band, it's a fascinating look at these young guys who came up from South Central Los Angeles, just dying to play rock music. Yeah. Also dying to be um, accepted by the black community at the same time. Right. So it's just it's a tragic tale in the end because. Fishbone was on the precipice of being as pop, like 
Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Gwen Stefani from No Doubt, Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction. They all looked up to these guys. Right, right. Ketis, I saw that documentary. You guys should check it out because, because, you know, I'm never the guy who like racism, whatever, blah. I'm not, I don't go, but like literally, um, they like Red Hot Chili Peppers was like they idolized Fishbone. They they were Fishbone was supposed to be that band to come out of that genre, and you know and it ended up being Red Hot Chili Peppers. Right. Everybody know. else took off and right. they kind of stayed there, yeah. and then all of a sudden things started to splinter, right. and there was lots of. I mean, you have to watch the movie. I can't go through. Yeah, we're not going, but, like, but yeah, check it out. It's if you it's, like if you like music amazing. at all, or just like um, if you like history, and you want to understand, uh, you know, because I I I was blown away. I was like, because. I liked Fishbone. I saw Fishbone a few times, but you don't. I didn't think of them in, t- in context of like being contemporaries of No Doubt and you know. You don't. Th- I just was into them. You know well, what I mean? I think of them more as contemporaries of the Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction because they all there. were right, right around the same time. No Doubt was a little bit later, right. but they just they loved them. Right. Like Gwen Stefani thought Angelo was like, oh, he was the, the greatest thing. motherfucker, man. Yeah. So it, it was. It was. Was Dallas Austin and. In- he produced he, yes. one of their later albums okay. when they had kind of kind of it, they were, it got yeah. really bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the sad part of the tale. Like, <laughs> it didn't end up so well, but you know what? Listen, some people think that making music, making wine, probably is the same way. Um, that at some point, you like you know, the Chili Peppers had Blood Sugar Sex Magic, right? What have you done since? Like, you have a pinnacle at, at a younger part of your career, and then everything else is kind of like looked at that compared to that. And then finally, you know, wh- why are you still making music? Why, like, aren't you entitled to continue to to make music? Yeah. Like, why why do you have to stop because you're forty five? Right. Or just because you had three albums that sold ten percent of what the big hit did? Right. You know. It's still valid to continue to do these things. You know, whether somebody's feeling it or not, that's up for the market and people's opinion to decide. But to kind of like shit on somebody for giving it the try, you know, it's a, it's art. Yeah. You take it take it or leave it. It's just like wine. Wine is art. I mean, that's I mean, we'll get into that when we talk a little bit more about about 56 and what we what mm-hmm. we do, but mm-hmm. like, you know, for me, wine is art. It's not something to hang a score on and be like this is 95, this is 89. I mean, you don't do that to the fucking Mona Lisa. Yeah. Is Whistler's mother 93 and the Mona Lisa's in 96? I mean, no, you'd get Mona laughed Lisa, at. Mona Lisa, objectively, if we were going to, she's about, <laughs> I mean, she's about a six. On a scale of one to Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, because like... she's just like, got nothing, it's that weird kind of fucking Adams Family <laughs> shit they probably model after. I mean, at least like the other women, they're, naked, they're Rubenesque, and they're like, he's like, oh, at least she's naked. Okay, she's a seven and a half, you know. But like, she's a well, six. Well, uh, just like women, <laughs> dude, that, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say she's a six, a seven, an eight, a ten. So I won't take that road. I, I'm talking but, about paintings. I didn't say any person. Okay, but my point is, <laughs> oh, MJ, you're going to get in fucking trouble. Oh, um, so it's the point. The point is that you know. Judging wine on its merits doesn't have to be an athletic competition. All right, so let's 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 take a pause right there because we'll get into Fifty Six Rewind, and and this is a good time to pause because I know you have really really um, poignant opinions on that. So we'll be right back, everybody, with Joe Bembry. All right, are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. 
IWS is one of the hot up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Taub family who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrolins from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Okay, we're back. We, 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 yeah, I was, I'm getting my foot out my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. My producer's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, let's um, talk about um, 56 Rewind. So you're there. Um, how long was your first stint there? So I started in 2004 at the inception of the store. I was actually working in another shop in Hunterton for a few months before, uh, same owner. And then, you know, I migrated to the new shop on its opening. 2004 to 2012, I worked there. So things at the time were going great. Um, we were um, uh, progressing, getting, doing increasing sales every year. The The client base in Bernardsville really seemed to be very receptive to the kind of things we were doing. It was it was actually very odd in the beginning because we had we had this store on a side street. It was all brick floors and wine racks, and we had like a little table and chairs, like a coffee table, <clears throat> and there's like a coffee table book on the thing, and these kind of like leather chairs, and people walked in. It was like, is this a coffee shop? Is a wine shop? <laughs> like, but the problem with it was it gave everybody the impression that it was precious and fancy in there. Like they're like, oh, don't touch the bottles. Oh, you go for 56 degree wine when you want a f- expensive, fancy bottle, but not when you just want to pick up a bottle of $12 Grenache or something like that. So um, we had to kind of push back against that. Um, and we were also doing things different. Like we didn't use scores to sell the wines. Right. So we, you know, we tried, I mean, we purposely made sure that um, we'd never put it on the shelves. And quite honestly, I just stopped reading it. I stopped reading the wine press on on wines because I didn't want to know. To me, it was almost a detriment if a wine got a really good score Mm. because it also meant like everybody wanted it. Everybody was going to come chasing after it. You know, I was way more interested in things like Zico Bourgogne Blanc. Um, I was way more interested in things that now have become unicorn wines. I love to tell this story and I I apologize to some of you that I know who will hear this, who's heard this 500 times. But like when we first started, um, a sales rep from Polander Selections came in and tasted us on the wines of Clos Rougeard, which is about as famous of Loire Cab Franc Mm -hmm. as it gets Mm -hmm. now. Back then, not quite as known. So much so that we actually got a chance to try all the wines across the range and buy them. Right. So I had floor stacked Clos in the store. Five cases, cut the top of the box off, come and pick up as money as you'd like. Now I might get five bottles of Clos Rougeard. Right. You know, that's 15 plus years later. But that's how the wine world changes and shifts and the pendulum is always going back and forth. Um but I, I was way more interested in wine made by real people um, who were really in tuned to their vines and their property 
and and we're just making authentic examples of wine. Um, I, I, I I never felt comfortable with large, massive production wines um, in terms of drinking them on my own. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I'm never going to turn down a bottle of Chateau Margaux. You want to bring one? I'm down. I mean, I know they make 30,000, 40,000 cases a year, but it's great. It's great for a reason. Isn't that, a reason but that's a trip, though. People don't get like Bordeaux is, to me, very fascinating because if someone made that much here, you couldn't sell it for that price. Right. But it's a global market for them. Right. So, it, you know, they, they, China's taken it. I mean, everybody wants a first growth. Any restaurant wants a first growth on their list if you have the clientele to afford it. Right. You know, so just think of how many people are trying to get it, not to mention collectors and blah, blah, blah. So they don't have a problem selling their wines. No, but let's like. think about this. So to, to your point about scores, I mean, the whole fucking first growth thing is made up and shit, man. Like. I mean, I, I love those wines, okay? But like, literally, we had oh, John Bonet was on, and like, it was the it was it was the rich people like, hey, we, we we're gonna we're gonna make our wines st- distinct from the other smaller producers. Yeah, I, I I agree. However, I do think there's something to those first growths. I mean, not that I I'm not listen. <clears throat> I'm a Cheval Blanc guy. I'm, just really, I'm like, like listen, <laughs> which isn't a first growth, but first it growth. might as well it be. might as well be. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that that's kind of like my point, right? Like like fucking. Um, and then the other Lafitte petition. So no, there is those wines are amazing. I Bordeaux, I love you. Those wines are amazing. I'm just saying, like, like you know, it, people don't treat your wines. It's global market, like they treat Camus Special Select. <laughs> like, you know. Well, it's also that's from here. Those wines from there. You hear his tone. I was like, "That's from here." No, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, not with you. But so, you told you, you did a down tone. Right? No. You told him, "Like MJ, that's from here." Listen, <laughs> oh, damn, you gave me the Urkel tone on that one. Like, <laughs> that's from here. <laughs> so, <laughs> man, <laughs> it's from it's from where we are from. <laughs> And so maybe there's a little bit more allure because it's French and it's also thousands of years of yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's there's lots of history and I, I mean, if anything, I'm throwing shade because like you said, like somebody's got to bring that shit. I'm not. That's not. I'm buying. No, no. but but I, but I'm like yes, please. No, listen, Stand I'm right always, by the guy. <laughs> I'm, more of your tour. <laughs> I'm, I'm always willing and ready, which you know takes me to Burgundy, which is like the complete opposite. So. I've been to Bordeaux only once. I've been to Burgundy nine zillion times. But in Burgundy, in, let, let me step step back. In Bordeaux, you go to a chateau that is grand and large, and they have a <laughs> it's set up more like a, almost like a Napa Valley tasting room, but just way fancier. And you know, you'll try some recent examples, and there's like lovely music playing in the background, and everything's like gold, and you know, it's it's. <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. It's a chateau. I'm going to Burgundy in two days, and I'm going to be down in somebody's fur-covered basement of their house. This is where they live. So it's a much more intimate – it's an intimate experience. Right. They're called domains, right? Right. Yeah. It's a much more intimate experience, mm-hmm. but it's also more intimate from them, meaning like I'm inviting you into my home. Right. They're a little bit more guarded people because of that, because I'm in their house. Right. I'm down in the basement. I'm tasting the wines. They will make you work a little bit more for for it. Meaning, you have to show some interest. You have to show them that you know something. 
You have to show them that you have some passion for what they do. And once you do that, and you have to be authentic and honest about it and real. I don't sit there and just be like, oh, this is the greatest shit I ever talked. No. But when you're authentic and passionate about it, oh, then a bottle of... Uh, Oh, oh, well, let's, oh let's, let's crack the I 1998. Just, I, just, I like this Joe guy. We had this over here just in case. We didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't know. You know that. But we like you now. There you go. It's a special bottle. Well, it, there's, there is a little bit of something to that. But it, it's, no, it's just a much more intimate experience. And it, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's powerful. Um, and to me, it's part of what makes Burgundy so great is that it is made in small quantities. And not everybody's going to have a chance to try this. And it's part of the reason why the prices escalate and, and why it's just like out of control in some circles. And before we had the tariffs, I mean, oh my God, like the price of Burgundy was starting to get like crazy, yeah. absolutely insane. But it brings us to this red wine that I have here that I brought. I'm going to pour a little bit. Yeah, I'm about to. Um, it's, um, See, that's actually smart. That's what I should do because we're going afterwards, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> Joe's smarter than I am. Taking the train, bro. Do, you do you. Um, so this you is- I took the train. But I'm I'm flying to Florida tomorrow. Oh, are you? Yeah. All right. But I took the like two fifteen flight, so I give myself some time to recoup. <laughs> so this red wine is um, obviously 100% Pinot Noir Burgundy from a great great producer Joseph Wallo. Um, this is Volnay Premier Cru Le Champagne, um, 2010 vintage. So this is a wine that's just been in my cellar uh, and um, has been resting peacefully. Smells good. Yep. It's got Probably that Pinot be... funk. Yeah. It's going to take a minute to <clears throat> yep. open up, but it's going to get there. Yeah. Um, I, I have a really deep affection for this winery and this particular winemaker. His name is Jean-Pierre Charlot. He's at this point kind of retired from the game, but he's an icon. He's He teaches classes in bone on viticulture and, and winemaking. Um, so he's kind of like the guy to go to. His wines, as you can see, are never like dark and densely packed. This is Pinot in the most classic of senses, meaning like you can kind of see through it a little bit. You know, it's it's not it's not um, doesn't look like Bordeaux, and um, so he makes like very ethereal wines that age tremendously well. Um, I first met him at the shop. He came to visit um, back in the mid two thousands, I guess, and. Um, we just kind of connected. He's this big, jolly, rotund guy, speaks no English at all. So when you can make it a connection with mm -hmm. somebody when I'm not speaking French and he's not speaking English, you know, it's 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 in the mind and mm -hmm. in the eyes. It's in the heart. And in the heart. And he just he knew that I was like down for the cause. You know, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. And so fast forward to a couple years later, I'm sitting in a restaurant in Bone with other people on a trip, on a wine trip. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I look and I, I, I think that's Jean-Pierre Charlot. And he's looking at me like, why do I know this light-skinned brother? He's, he's like, who's that fly, pretty light-skinned brother over here in the corner? <laughs> I think that's exactly what he said, MJ. In French. <laughs> Whatever the French are calling. And so. Qu'est-ce que c'est, sir? <laughs> Whatever. So he's he's standing there looking at me. I'm looking at him, and finally I got up and I'm like Jean Pierre. He's like, oh yeah, is he American? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you know we had like a little bit of a broken English um, uh, conversation, and then one of the people who was translating on the trip came over and kind of helped me out. And then we sat down, and about 15 minutes later, a bottle shows up on a table. 1995 Volnay Champagne mm. from Joseph Wayo. 
They happened to have it on the list at the restaurant. He just sent over a bottle. He's like, try my wine with some age on it. And mm. I was just like, it was drop dead gorgeous. Mm. I mean, absolutely stunning red wine. Right in the zone, like just drinking beautifully. Subsequently, I made other trips to the domain and um, visited him a couple years ago. And he, he he's had some health issues. Um, and I'll never forget, Karen and I mm-hmm. went to visit him, had a fantastic tasting of all the current vintages. And then he said, do you have time for lunch? And I was like, love to go to lunch. He has somebody come with him, uh, uh, a gentleman who worked for him, so he could translate, so we could talk. He goes down in the basement, and I, I watch where he's walking. He, he's got all these bottles laying on the, the floor of the basement. They don't have racks. They just lay them on the ground, on the stones, and they're just they're covered with black mold. Right. And he goes and he picks one up, and he starts to wipe it off a little bit, and he carries it out to the, to the restaurant. Pops it open. He's like, what do you think this is? And I'm like, I mean, it's obviously not a young vintage, but it's just so vibrant and fresh and so like vital Pinot Noir, absolutely stunningly vital Pinot. And I'm thinking in my head of all the like great vintages that have happened. And I'm like, 1985 Volnay Champagne, because it's my favorite site. He goes back. Mm. And I'm like, I don't even know the vintages back beyond there like, <laughs> so he finally tells me it's 1969 volnay champagne there were four bottles sitting in that spot he burned one of them for me and my wife at lunch that's respect that's love that's that's respect i mean yeah. that that wine was actually made by his father-in-law wow he didn't make it wow so I mean, you know, like it's it's those kind of relationships, it's those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And now his his nephew has taken over for him because, like I said, his health is not great. And his nephew is like salt of the earth, nicest guy. I'm going to see him in a, in a, less than a week. Um, but I, I wanted to share this one with you because I, I think it's a special bottle from a special producer, and it's it's what I like in in Pinot. Um, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I believe when you first. We were looking at you. You said his wines are never dark or densely packed. Mm-hmm. I know this, so I point at Q-tip, and he says, "Black is black." <laughs> I was like, I, how do, "I was like, I was like, I want to say that, but it's such a great story." I was like, "I was like, you didn't even realize that that was in your language." Like, I was like, "He said dark and densely packed." <laughs> mirror, mirror on the wall, shovel chestnuts, de la soul, y'all. For 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 those of us who don't know, my producer knows. She's like, yeah, she's like, black is black. That's a clip for sure. That's a fucking clip. Um, amazing, amazing, and that what the story you just shared is what I love about wine. It's the connections we can make with people. Absolutely right, and 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 like you said. You parlez-vous un peu français oui. at best. Um, he speaks no English, but the eyes are the window of the soul. Um, you guys connected. And to have someone, like you said, like like there's four bottles out left. That's that's the domain. That's that's their house wine. It's not their house wine, like a cheap wine. Like that's like that's No, that's the that's their legacy. That's right, their, that's their legacy, right? Exactly. That's their, yeah. um, now we have three, and one of them yeah. will share with you and your wife. That's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. Um, now you've been to like over thirty different wine regions. Uh, regions, regions. Think about regions, bro. Probably. Yeah. Um, I've made like 
30 trips to Europe. Okay. For okay. sure. Okay. I've had um, um, the good fortune of, of making many trips to Burgundy. I've been to the Loire. I've been to the Rhone a few times. I've been to Bordeaux once. I've never made it to Alsace. Various trips in Italy, mm-hmm. lots of trips to Spain because of my wife too. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I love to travel. It's one of the parts of the business that to me is most important, not only for the ability to source wine, because for me, the reason why I go to Burgundy every year is because these things are made in such small quantities and these days even smaller and smaller mm-hmm. because we've just had a number of vintages that have been problematic in terms of hail or frost or whatever the malady might be. Um, being able to go there, taste through the lineup and be like, in 2019 vintage, I liked Gevre Chamberton La Justice. I liked the Chambol Derriere du Four. And I want uh, six cases of the Premier Cru Crepeule. So, you know, like for me to be able to make those decisions, tasting the wines in the place with the winemaker. So if I have any questions and to also be able to paint the picture. So for me, I'm dealing with, a lot of um, wineries and, and producers that aren't on the tip of the tongue of the ballers, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, it's, I, I get to, I get a little piece of Rumier, and it goes to a few people, and, and that's that. But but I sell Burgundy like by cases, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like wines that we can actually acquire mm-hmm. and move. So for me to be able to go over there and make those selections, and also be able to paint the picture for the um, for the clients, our clients, of what makes Sylvain Zico so special, what makes Jean-Pierre Charlot of Voyeur so special, um, that's everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know, being able to tell a real story—that's mm-hmm. the trick. That, and it's not a trick, but that's that's the game. That's the that's the goal is to be able to really show the passion that these producers have with these wines that they produce, and give it full display, full attention full the wide array of all that's possible in wine that's really it that's what that's what i do when i got back to getting back to college and being able to write that's what i learned how to convey the story in a way that makes makes people want to buy it mm-hmm. it resonates with them mm-hmm. and so now sylvan zico when it comes in people are just like oh i'll take a case take a case take a case. because now i've built that brand mm-hmm with our clients mm-hmm. and they know that Z-Code is quality. Mm-hmm. It becomes synonymous with quality. Mm-hmm. Not, not unlike other things that other people sell too, but 15 years ago, nobody knew this. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's that's it, yeah. that's everything. Yeah. So you, you said your wife is in the wine business also. Um, yeah, she is. How did you two meet? Oh, I met my wife at JFK, I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. Um, we met, uh, she was working for, um, Tempranillo, uh, Jorge, Ordo- Jorge Ordonez's, um, uh, portfolio. And I was a wine buyer, young wine buyer at that time, just starting out. He made uh, himself young. He's a young wine buyer to start. Well, I, young in terms of my experience of going on <laughs> trips, cause I'd never been to Europe before in my life. Yeah. It was my first trip to Europe. It was 2005. Um, so I, uh, Beat me by went, five years. <laughs> <laughs> I went to um, the airport to, to take this flight, and mm-hmm. a bunch of people from the trip were all congregating at a little restaurant by the, the terminal. And so I, I first laid eyes on her, not 
at the time I was still married. Nothing happened on the trip. It was not like sparks flying. Aside from the fact that I was impressed with her. I was very impressed with her command of the Spanish language. I was impressed by how she um, she talked and, 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 and was able to convey things to her clients who she was there kind of entertaining, so to speak. And left the trip. Nothing. You know, a few years later, see her at a tasting. Oh, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Blah, blah, blah. It wasn't until, I guess, 2011 where a fateful Facebook post was made by my wife. We had become Facebook friends and she wrote a post about, oh, I'm going to see Jane's Addiction and um, I got, I'm not sure if I want to go, but I've got this extra ticket and, and I just wrote back, cash in now, honey. <laughs> that was good, MJ. I know. And she's that's like, a, that's a lyric from a song, by the way, people. He wasn't exactly. He's, he's not. He wasn't just. He's not flexing like, <laughs> like he's Big Daddy pimping or something. Uh, not, no. not, not in not, that way. Not, but not I, necessarily. But I, was, I know. I but know. I was. I mean, it, it was. It was a good flex. But you could always fall back on <laughs> exactly. So she wrote me back. She's like, "What do you mean? You think the show's gonna suck? Like <laughs> cashing my tickets? Like I'm like, no, girl. You better brush up on your lyrics for the mountain song." <laughs> Cash in now, honey. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. So she she got um, she wrote me back. She's like, "Well, I have an extra ticket." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I met up with her, and she she my wife is smart. She brought a wingman to the to the first <laughs> meeting, <laughs> kind of just make sure like everything was kosher, you know. And it was actually a deep friend of ours. His name is Valdemar. He was there, and she was he was. I don't, I'm not blowing up anything. Voldemort is very gay. So he was just like, oh, he's cute. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so she was like, okay, the green light. Yeah, you got it's Yeah, that is a thing. And you got, sometimes you got to get checked off by the gay husband. Yes. Exactly. It's just true. It's true. I did. I did. Same my way. I did. They had to sign off on me. Exactly. So um, we ended up going to the show. And while we were at the show, she took a little video. This was back when the iPhones, it was kind of a newish thing, you know, right. taking a little video with the iPhone. And so she, she took like a, she thought she All was taking 1. a picture. 1.5 megapixels. Yeah. <laughs> a grainy ass video in exactly. the middle of Irving Plaza <laughs> that she thought she was taking a picture of us, but it was actually a video. And the cool thing about it, this is before like when you take a picture and it gives you a little bit of motion to right, it. Right. The cool thing about it was she thought it was a picture, but she went like this. And I can't, for those of you on the podcast, I'll let MJ... Explain what I'm doing. Oh, she yeah, kind of yeah, just yeah. like raised her eyebrows, yeah. just like, look at she, me. She was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Joe B. <laughs> it was really cute. He's pretty subsequently, fly for a light-skinned guy. <laughs> subsequently, I quote-unquote missed my train that night. You, you know the move. I know that move. But nothing really happened. It was just, it was nah, but you gotta innocent sit, you enough. Gotta, you got you to gotta keep the night going, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we, we you know, we ended up dating and and um as she says you know i wooed her in new jersey with bottles of giacosa and maria sinsky's cookbook that i was like make dishes out of it to to impress her and lots of Chappelle show reruns and you know i mean who doesn't love dude that? that's a winner <laughs> that's a that's you gotta a know how to bring the fire man yeah, yeah that's a winner hey did you guys have any wine before that uh on that when you went out what, what, what wine did you Ooh, have on that so, first date? So we actually, we met up at um, uh, Club, or Club, excuse me, Bar Hamon, okay. you know, Casamono and Bar Hamon right around the corner. So we were just sipping on some sherry. Okay. I don't even remember what we had, but it was just like we had a little couple cups of sherry and, you know, then went over to the show. I don't know what we drank later, but. But 
you the know. rest is, as we say, history. Exactly. Um, or her story, depending on who's telling it. <laughs> okay, producer? <laughs> um, oh, my God. <laughs> just Sometimes my mind just goes off on these tangents, and like I've had all these things I want to ask you, and now I'm like, oh, I made a stupid joke, and now I don't know what I was thinking about. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Rain it in, MJ. Come on. I am. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> People need the information. <laughs> so you go and do wholesale for a few years. Yeah. What was that like? Um, humbling, quite honestly. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I tried really hard to um, forge my path in the wholesale side. So I was working. The Here's the issue. So now I'm dating Karen. Mm -hmm. um, I moved in with her in the city. So we're living in the East Village, but I'm doing wine sales in New Jersey for Grand Cru selections. I'm doing wine sales in New York for um, Juan Prieto, and I'm doing wine sales in New Jersey for BNP, which is mainly a Bordeaux portfolio at the same time. Yeah. So it kind of like stretched me in a million different directions. Um, eventually, I, I, I dropped Juan Prieto's wines. Not I mean, This is Juan Prieto, okay. Zico. So not of any reason aside for the fact that um, I had to focus. Um, but after a two year stint, it became pretty obvious to me that I was not cut out for that side of the business. Mm -hmm. My wife is much more cut out for it. I am not. And by that, I mean, I love seeing the end user's reaction to finding something they love. Mm -hmm. And they'll take my recommendation and they'll come back and they'll go, Joe. Open that wine on Saturday. It was so good. We had the scallops, and you asked me, you told me that the Z coat Bourgogne Blanc would go perfect with it, and it was just like boom. And that like warms my heart to no end. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, when I would go see my clients on the wholesale side, and they would do what's in my opinion like ridiculous shit, like drink the whole fucking bottle of the sample oh, yeah. and order nothing right. have like <laughs> motherfuckers from like the top floor the accountant comes down and tries the wine every 10 15 people try the fucking wine and be like yeah call me on tuesday and we'll, we'll call tuesday email follow up follow up, follow up nothing i felt like i was banging my head against the wall because i'm of the mind i make an appointment with somebody i take it seriously Hopefully, hopefully I show up. <laughs> Shout out to all you people I've screwed over, <laughs> fucked up, double scheduled, or just you know. But I do make it up to them, and and you know we taste the wine, we assess it on its merits, not because of the score. I'm like, don't tell me the score. You don't even have to tell me the price. Matter of fact, you don't have to say a word if you don't want to. If you want to talk, fine. But it's rare that somebody's going to say something that's going to make me buy that wine that the glass won't. Yeah. Meaning I'm tasting it, assessing it. I'm like. Is this taste like what it's supposed to be? Is this taste like a really good example of what it's supposed to be? Is this wine in a price point that's going to make people buy it? Because wine's a business. Yep. I'm not, you know. I'm, <clears throat> it I'm is not... called the wine business. Exactly. I, I have to be mindful that it's a business. So I could love a wine that's wholesale for $30, but I'm looking at it for 45 bucks. Who's buying it? You know, is, is that something that somebody's going to buy at that price point? So- I have to make those decisions. But once I do, I pull the trigger. I make them. But I couldn't get past people going like, well, what's the score? I don't know. Well, well, why do you fucking care? 
Oh, because they're going to sell it on the points. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's like the laziest shit you could possibly do. It's just like, this got 98. You should come and get it. Like that, that to me, there's no romance in that. Right. There's no work involved in that. Initially, wine merchants in this country and everywhere else would go to the place, taste the wine and buy their favorites. Mm -hmm. That's what we are. We're a throwback to that mm -hmm. era. Mm -hmm. So to me, for me to just be like, well, wine advocate said, this is great. You know what? Robert Parker might think that's great. Is he going to give your money back if it ain't? I will. Yeah, he's not. Because that's what we do. I bag it up. No, I'm, I'm being right. serious. No, like, I know. No, I, know. I, make the, I make the claim to every single... I did it when we first started the store. And to this day, I mean, the number of bottles that people have brought back for almost any reason. I mean, corked's one thing. Right. Happens. Right. No, no biggie. But because they were dissatisfied, I can count on these fingers in 18 years. Yeah. Because we take the time to taste it and we vet it for them. Make sure it's it's a good quality wine and the price is valid. You know, it's not it's not like outrageously priced for the price for the quality that's in the bottle. Right. That's the key. Yeah. That's the key for us. It's it's hugely important and it, it's it's often underappreciated. Completely. I I retail quality consultative retail is is lost. Absolutely. And, um, and honestly, MJ, you just said the word retail and it just brought this whole thing to my mind because retailers, and maybe I have a complex about it, but I feel like we're on the bottom rung. Well, I think, I think <laughs> like and, and, people, and, and I, yeah, there, there's a stigma placed to it. But like you said, I love what you said. Like there is nothing better than, than recommending a wine and somebody come back and go say, oh my God. What else she got? There's nothing better than that versus versus you, you're a wholesale and it's like, um, you know, they're angling for your allocated shit. How many cases of this do I have to fucking buy to get that? Blah, 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 blah. It becomes more of a business. There's right. no romance in it. You're right. Right. And, and like I said, it is the wine business, but that 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 um, merchant, that wine merchant level is 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 beautiful because it's it go, like I said, it's the relationship. You're like, I was just over in Burgundy. I tasted these. They're coming in. Allows you to pre-sell stuff with confidence. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Like, like, like I was there, and, and people know. They know. Joe knows him. Joe's been there for eighteen years. Joe's going over and tasted these wines. I'm listening to Joe, and then and then and then they tell their friends, "Oh, like you, you have to be a go-to shop in that area. Like, oh, go see uh, the crew at Fifty Six Rewind." Absolutely, and, and by extension, I will bring that producer here. And have a wine dinner with my clients. You just had one. I just had, well, I had one with Maria since. Yeah, well, yeah, who, who is honestly one of the greatest people on the planet. <laughs> I mean, she's freaking I, amazing. I just wish I lived closer because I would have come. It'd been a busy week, but I wanted to come. To that I it was. It. I it just was awesome. She's amazing. Um, yes. Yeah, I want to digress because you love Burgundy. Um, let's talk about the Senskis. They have a very great philosophy. Like their current Pinot Noir is twenty sixteen. They just released it. Yeah, yeah. So they they also do. Wild things like hold on to the wine until it's actually ready to drink, ready to be consumed. It's probably bad for the balance sheet, but it's great for the end consumer because you're getting a product that has the benefit of a little taking off the hard edges off the wine. So, um, and when I say take the hard edges off, just just soften up the tannin a little bit, make it a little bit more easily digestible for for the average palate to to consume and enjoy. Um, they they've been doing it that way for a long time. I first met Rob. Um, 
I don't know what year it was, probably 2005 or six or something like that. I was selling a lot of his Chardonnay. He made a great Chardonnay, absolutely stunning Chardonnay. Um, we sold boatloads and boatloads of it. And I went back to get the next vintage and I was told that he's no longer making Chardonnay. And I'm like, what happened to all the vines? He ripped them out and planted Gewürztraminer, Riesling, and Pinot Blanc. Wow. And I'm which like, is, which, which from a, <laughs> for, for like, if you're, if you're not in the wine business, you're someone who's listening to this, who's somehow learning about wine, uh, by this podcast, <laughs> um, that's not profitable. Mm -mm. And, 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 and particularly in Napa Valley where you can get like, you could say maybe put Cabernet, like you can make more money in Cabernet. I mean, like that's not profitable to put Riesling, Diversamina and Pinot Blanc at all. That is someone who is clearly committed to the craft, and <laughs> you're down for the cause. If yeah, you, exactly. If you make right. that move. You're down for the cause. Yeah. Whatever vision you have in your head, that's what you're trying to create because you're not doing it for for money. No, it would be way easier to pump out Chardonnay yep. and keep it going, but to do something focused on like Alsatian varietals. But he makes a stunning wine. That's the thing. That's the crazy part about it is that he rips all the vines out. In 2002 or three, I forget exactly, and he just starts making these great wines, and now it, it's like an it's it's its own iconic thing, mm -hmm. you know. And it, to me, pushing the boundaries, you know, wines a moving target all the time, you know, and things are always changing. And I'm sure at some moment we'll start talking about natural wine, and I'll get myself in really big fucking trouble. yeah. But guess what? <laughs> I love my guests. They just get where I'm going. I mean, like you know. We, we, I'll stick my foot in my mouth, but I don't care. I, I, I'm, I'm, I take every wine on its face value. And for me, wine is about pleasure. At the end of the day, you know, all the pomp and circumstance around it, you open the bottle, you enjoy it with somebody you care about, have a good time, enhance your meal, make it a night. Okay. To... To go on and just, uh, you know, create something that's inauthentic or, or doesn't resonate with anybody or, or it just is another random ass example of, of a wine, it's not the way to go. It's, it's, not, it's not something that's going to, to yield great results. It, it's not going to fulfill you as a winemaker, I think. And I'm putting myself in a winemaker's shoes right now. Well, most winemakers that I know of. Um, um, and they're don't really, they're not, they're same opinion, like natural wine for a large proportion of people is a lazy way to make wine. It's not really making wine. I've had wine makers <laughs> tell me that. Like I stomped it with my dirty feet and I'm not going to do anything at all to it. Um, well, uh, <laughs> now, now, now we had, we had, um, Patrick Capiello on here and you know, who, was a psalm and I know, know Patrick. Yeah, you know Patrick. Great of course guy. you know. Yeah, great I went guy. to Bordeaux with him. He's yeah. But he, but he, he even said like he said now that he's a winemaker, he's like mm -hmm. there is this natural wine mafia on social media and he's like he's like I make the best wine I can naturally with minimal intervention. Like and there's always been people who've done that. This moniker of natural wine like so let's get into it. Like so you you first of all, you need to start blogging again. So my team went and looked at the blog. Oh my God. It was back in the day, bro. Yeah. but and, I uh, actually do have to do that because um, the marketing company that I work with is like, we're going to do a post on um, you 
starting up the uncorked thing on your website, which has nothing on it. It says right. uncorked with Joe Benry. Click right. on it. It goes to like nothing. Right. So I do have to start doing it. Yeah. Anyway, proceed. Le Monstre de Vin. What does that mean, man? It means the freak of wine in okay. French. Okay. And so it, I just looked at it. I was like, the freak of wine. That was going to be my like tag handle. And so um, that's my Instagram too, by mm -hmm. the way. And, you know, I really just take it on a case-by-case -case basis. I think it's so important for wine to just be pleasurable and not be so hung up on the process and the dogma that's associated with it. But more like, listen, everybody knows that when you have organically tended vines, the vines are going to be healthier mm -hmm. and thus the resulting wine will be healthier for you. There's no problem with that. I have a problem with stuff that tastes like shit. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. Like I, I go, who the fuck likes this? It smells like a dog's ass and it tastes about the same. Like who likes it? Like really? You right. like this? Right. So – Fine, buy it, but it's not going to be on my shelf. Right, and that that doesn't mean I don't have natural wines on my shelf. I do. No, that's what I'm saying. I, I mean, there's people who, like I said, make these minimal intervention wines, old vines, biodynamic, but not certified. But it's pleasurable for people to enjoy. Exactly. I mean, people come in and say, "Do you have like a natural wine section?" I'm like, no. "Yeah, I know that. That's that's the like, term. Like, exactly. Like, <laughs> like as soon as you ask that question, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. It just means that you're you're more focused on the process than the actual. Exactly. Product. And that and that's that's the thing, right? I I, I don't want to put bad shit in my body. I get all that crap, all all the dogma, not crap, all the dogma that goes along with the narrative. It's like it's it's like a religion. It's like dogma. Like, but but you know, I remember. I had Jordan on uh, Salcedo because she wrote yeah. an article a couple years ago, and we got Bobby Stuckey's coming on when he comes to town. We're really excited about that. But she was asking Bobby about natural wine. He says, "As as a sommelier, your your first job is the wine flawed, and a lot of those wines are flawed." Yes. I mean, I, I don't want to say a lot because, and I, I, one thing I will say, MJ, it's getting better. Of course, the 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 people who are making wines that really stink. They're not selling. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, 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 <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, the, well, gonna, the market, the market will. Exactly. Fool we'll me regulate. once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but we'll like, I'm not going to come back and buy that again. Right. right. So that's, that's a, a huge component. I mean, I think Pascaline brought something that was really good. I mean, you know, so I'm not saying, and you know. I love her. Yeah. And and I, I, I appreciate people who are um, pushing the envelope for better vineyard practices yeah. and working cleaner in the vines and in the cellar and, and things that increase the health of the vineyard but at the end of the day people are drinking a bottle of wine and they have to like it yeah nothing worse than like trying to suffer through some shit actually i don't know. i don't I, I don't either i don't either I, life's I, too I, short i'm like i'm like i'll uh, pour that done. shit right down exactly. the drain. i'm like fuck. no zero fucks i'm eating that yep. <laughs> i'm eating that 30 ducks <laughs> yep <laughs> seriously it's not worth it it isn't not worth it. It is it, man. <laughs> choke it down. Just gotta spend money on it. Like not I've seen people anymore. try, like I've seen people try and drink like old ass Barolo that's just like so shot. Oh yeah. And they're just like, isn't this great? And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's like else. fucking I'm shit. Like, you it's me? oxidized. Like, what are you talking you about? Fucked it. It's, it's gone. Like it, people are fighting to find uh, yeah, some like, note. No, 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 no. no. It's like, I'm like, no, no. One one time a guy invited me to his house and said, um, "What do you think of this Giacosa?" And I was like. I think it's oxidized. He's like, yeah, but it's going to come around, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. That 
It's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the tertiary notes are showing their tertiary notes, right? Like it's just so oxidized wine doesn't come around. Six degrees more of separation from when this wine was tasty. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um you you come back from the retail uh, from the wholesale to like your home where you can tell stories, you can connect deeper with people. Um and then you come back in what it was 2014. Yeah, so this is where it gets a, a little bit crazy. So, <clears throat> uh, I was working wholesale, and I get a phone call from the the people who are the money people behind 56 Degree Wine, and they say, "Listen, Joe, I, I need to have a conversation with you. I want you to be discreet about it." But we found out that there's some really awful shit going on in the store. Uh, money's being siphoned off. Um, it's just a complete disaster. So we've pumped a lot of money in this and um, we're trying to decide what to do. Um, we can either start up some money if you will come back and, and, and try and give it a go or we can just sell it off for pennies and a dollar and just lick our wounds and be done with it. Mm. And I think, um, and I, I will name my former partners, um, the Bruckners, wonderful, wonderful people who um, quite honestly didn't deserve the lot they got from that. Um, but you know, the money was being stolen. Things were going wrong. I mean, I'm not talking about like little things. I'm talking about like hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. just vaporizing in front of their eyes. When I left the store, the th store was thriving. And when I returned, it was a shell of itself. So my job was to get it back going in the right direction. Um, on a personal side, it was really not only disappointing to me, but deflating because you know, this person who was my mentor gave me my first job, um, wasn't the guy I thought he was. Mm. And so now I have to kind of pick up the pieces and we soldiered on and it was, it was not easy work, but we, you know, we, we got, we got there. And, um, finally, uh, my partners were like, Hey, listen, we're ready to call it quits. We're in our seventies. You know, I just don't want to think about it anymore you ready to just take the reins? And I was like, let's do this. You know? So in 2021, January, 2021, I took the complete reins of the store. We're still open. So haven't fucked it up too bad yet. <laughs> Stay tuned. Never know. <laughs> how did you, um, how, how did the pandemic affect you guys? Like, cause that shit came down before you, but like who buys a store like in the middle of a pandemic? <laughs> this crazy motherfucker. That's it. <laughs> Oh, I mean, it, it was my store already, you right, know, so right. it, it's just a matter of dollars and cents and working that all out. But um, the pandemic was wild. I mean, when it first went down, I mean, I was in France in February of 2020, mm. um, noticing that there weren't just Asian people wearing masks anymore. Like, I was mm. like, oh, everybody's kind of masking up. and they, they were a little bit ahead of us. But we, we were a little bit behind it. And um, when I got home, uh, once March hit, I mean... It was crazy. Like everything gets shut down. People are panic buying cases of wine because they're worried that the governor is going to close off wine stores, which I mean, in hindsight would have been like one of the most disastrous things you can do is like, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stay home. You're not going to go anywhere. You're going to school your kids and you can't buy a fucking glass oh of wine. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> like there's no way, there's no way you could do that to people. Not to mention like alcoholics who just quite honestly, you're going to leave them out in the cold. Like it's, it's a, a massive. There would have been no 
riots. I mean, it would have been riots. You want right. to? I would have been out there with him, like <laughs> rioting, like forget like, my business. I'm just like, I need a glass <laughs> of wine. Can you, can you imagine this shit? Right? <laughs> imagine like riots over closing down wine shops. I was just watching some shit about like the 92 riots like and everybody like Snoop's like yeah I got a TV like I'm like Yo, go get me some DRC motherfuckers be like take a DRC <laughs> fucking Ornelia Tignello well, <laughs> he's like taking cases of the good shit it's funny you mention that because at that same time my wife and I are home now all the time and I mean we just start hammering our cellar like just every day like two bottles you know we're cooking right so it's just like right every, and that's that to us too like it's like it's, it's easy easy two bottles two and a half bottles because you're, you're cooking you're at home, you're not going no fucking way right and you're also because it's a pandemic and you don't really there's uncertainty mm-hmm. i'm almost like why am i holding all this shit like like who knows maybe i get covid in a month and i'm out literally i did a set listen there was one i did it was a tuesday wednesday and thursday <laughs> i opened a uh, Synquanon, uh, uh, fingers crossed, and a Andremoly. It was the ultimate. I opened a Grenache. It was the ultimate GSM. Yeah. Because I was like, "What the fuck, man?" It was like it was like late. It was like March of 2020. I was like, "What the hell? Why it, not?" Now or never. Never. I was like, you know, well, I was. I got some hole, but like literally, I totally understand it. it. It really put things in perspective for people, you yeah. know. And we're coming up on. Uh, open that bottle night. This will probably this might even drop that week with Dottie and John, and that really came back into the forefront during the pandemic because people right. were like, "What the fuck?" And and who the hell said that? Who was on my podcast? Someone's like, "Oh yeah, like oh yeah, oh Rob Long." He's like, "I never understood people who were like." Holding a bottle for a special occasion, like he's like, no. he's, he's like, you know, the bottle's worth twenty five thousand. Like, is this was this, is this a twenty five thousand dollars special occasion? No, it's only a seventeen five well, special occasion, right? I, I'm not a fan of putting a dollar figure on a special occasion, but I'm also hundred percent with him. Like, open up your best bottle on a Thursday. Yep. When it's just like you and your wife. Yep. And get like a really good steak, and cook it simply, and just. Let the magic unfold. That's like, my shit is a cheeseburger. I'm like, I ain't, I ain't even say whatever like, your favorite. I'm like, thing. I'm like a baller. I'm like, one of my smash. My, my producer's like, I want to come over. For, you're coming to my house upstate, making smash burgers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it is. I like it. And like, it's simple. Let the wine be the star. Yes, and let it be. Let it motivate your night. I'm as time goes on. I have some really, really dear friends. You know them, Brooke Sobel, yep. my buddy Patrick, who's like my homeboy, mm-hmm. my buddy Jared, who's out on the West Coast. We get together and we open up lots of crazy bottles. I know. I, I saw some y'all. Y'all did some crazy. Y'all did like a, a Rhone theme. I was like, fuck, they were cracking all kinds of crazy shit. I mean, MJ, you and I have done some damage too. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, yeah. But. But like, you know, I keep telling, I'm, I'm the one who's pushing this. And maybe it's because I'm a little bit older than all of them. I'm just like, listen, let's not have the wine orgy all the time we get together. Let's just scale it back a right. little bit. Right. Because honestly, these bottles are too special to just be given 15 minutes of attention right. and move on to the next and that's thing. That's the thing too, right? Yeah, you got you to you gotta spread that out. Like, I, I, like you go to these, I used to go to these tastings sometimes when I was in California and it's like, it's actually too much because you're not even, you can't even enjoy all those wines because you're banged up and you got all these amazing wines and you're not really appreciating them. You no, know? it's true. I mean, 
first time we got together, famous last words, one more bottle. That's <laughs> my wife's famous last words always. <laughs> but it's it was like, a good one more bottle. Was that Joey, like, I think we need one more bottle. Whenever she says Joey, too, I know. Oh, yeah. it's, it's she's Joey, exactly. feeling nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, go down and get one more bottle. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so... So you come back, the store's in shambles, um, you you purchase it, um, and now you've recently moved. Like, you ain't, you are, you were just like, you just like to stir the pot. Yeah, 2021 was a wild year. So um, we, my wife and I bought a house in Montclair, uh, the proverbial money pit. So we, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, from the inside, phenom- phenomenal. But it's the shittiest house on the block on the outside. It's like the the house on the block that everybody's like, we gotta who get, lives in there? We got to get Chip and Goat Joanna over here. That's uh, what you do. You buy the worst house on the best block. 100%. Yep. Speaking, of, speaking of that, you know, we, we actually know some people who work on one of those shows. So we're, we're kind of, it's oh, in the works. Huh? Okay. Keep that on down low. Nobody hears this right No. Okay. So I only um, have three listeners. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we bought- a- I appreciate you three guys too, by the way, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> We bought this house that needs a lot of love, but it's literally a 10 location for us. And so moving is very, very difficult. It's one of the worst experiences. But to move a home and a store in the same year, I'm pretty sure it took a couple months off my life. Like it, it's just it, – it's super stressful, not to mention like exhausting. And I probably shouldn't got, should have gotten more help with it in terms of like everybody – or hiring somebody to do it, but I DIY'd it a lot, and it, it's exhausting. It really is. But the new space is beautiful. Um, we're right on the main street, which we've never been in Burnersville. The store's always been kind of like on a side street, and now it's like dead smack in the middle of the town. Um, I'm looking forward to the future. It's it's going to be awesome. It really is. Cool, cool. So <clears throat> we're coming up on the hour. Um, we're going to be talking some more later. <laughs> anyway. Um, the podcast goes on. <laughs> yeah. Podcast continues. Um, what uh, – give me like a bottle of wine. Well, you talked about that 92 Dominus, but what, 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 what was a bottle of wine that just blew, blew – you know, when you were like, I said, I love this shit. I'm in. You know I'm a big burgundy guy. <clears throat> but I have to say I've had this wine twice on two occasions – and I'm a, I'm also a big person who um, the most profound wines that I've had are not necessarily like the greatest bottles, sure. but it's time and place. Yeah. But this one in particular, uh, it was 1990 Latour, mm-hmm. and I've had it twice, and both times it was like on point, like really on fire, and it had just that beautiful like lushness of fruit, starting to pick up all those secondary characteristics softening of tannin, um, acid fresh, even though it's a really warm vintage and just like in the zone. I'm also not a big fan of like old wine. Like me, me I don't either. find right. valor in saying I had a 1970 something like, if it's is it old, good? it's gotta be fresh. Yeah. Is it good? It's gotta like, be fresh. Yeah. I, I don't, I, right. that's another reason why I tend to not hold my wines forever. It's like, Last time I checked, wine is made from 
grapes, which are fruit. And if there's no fruit left in the wine, there's no allure left I in the wine. I agree. That's when I, I say that all the time. A grape is a fruit. You need to have some fruit in your wine. I worked with this dude. Uh, when I first got in the business, and he and he said, and he said, he I always remember he's like, you know, because we were starting to do all this cult wine shit and auctions at Acker, and he was like, he's like, I don't see what all the hullabaloo is. Wine is a pit stop between grape juice and vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> and, if, and 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 chemically, that's true. Yeah, hundred percent. So you know, um, I do. I agree with you one hundred percent. So, but 90 Latour, but when you have some, that's when you have those wines, you're like, fuck, I get what the, all this shit is about. Like, like I get why this is a first group, why people clamor for this Especially shit. with Bordeaux. Yeah. Like, like I, like I, I've had those epiphanies with Burgundies many, many more times. Bordeaux for me is a little bit trickier just because I tend to not drink a lot of heavy wines. Right. And I, I like the, the little lighter and finesse things. Um, but when it's that smoking it's impossible to deny and it's it's amazing it's absolutely amazing i loved it i mean i i i would love to try it again <laughs> you know anybody he's like, he's like, he's like I'm, I'm sure somebody out there's got some me and All joe we're, we're, out there. we're pretty cool to drink wine with yeah yeah i'll, I'll bring the z code 2012 borgonia blanc you bring the latour and he's a, he does dope playlists for his shit too so we'll, we'll hook that's it up that's true that's true <laughs> Well, Joe Bimbry, thank you so much, my brother, for being here. Um, tell people how they can find you and how they can be a part of what you're doing. Uh, well, you can find me at 56degreewine.com. Uh, our Instagram is at 56wine. Uh, personally, you can find me at Le Monstre du Vin. It's L-E-M-O-N-S-T-R-E-D-U-V-I-N on Instagram. And uh, check out my wife's portfolio of Spanish wines, too, La Luz Selections. All right, my man, Big Joe. Until the next time, everybody out there, cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. It's MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 